the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house. The time, 5.05 on a wonderful Monday evening. The weather, spectacular. Our um, conditions around the Bay Area are absolutely wonderful. And we are moving into the longest days of our year. Glad to know that. Glad to be a part of it. And glad to have you in the house with yours Truly, Jesse Gistan on this Monday edition of Lifeline. You know how we do it. I'll give you the number so you can get prepared to call in as we field topics today. one 367 one Hope that your uh, Sunday worship was well and that you are all geared up for uh, for the week and that uh, returning to work or school or wherever Monday uh, afforded you uh, that at this moment you're doing you're doing well that uh, that life is good and uh, you're ready to engage in something that can be beneficial to yourself. So, where is our point of focus today? To what should we give ourselves an hour and fifty five minutes to think about, to meditate upon, to to address? Well, I got a couple things on my mind. I, I'm. Uh, I'm thinking through how important it is for the believer to be able to manage his thought life. How important it is for you and I to not simply be slaves to the sort of random thought process that go on in our our brains and our head and our mind. and, uh, and, And as a consequence, get tripped up by how we think and what we think. Now, long ago, um, psychology used to hold to a basic premise that mankind, he's a pretty good creature, uh, all things equal, that uh, he's basically good. And you would hear that kind of uh, rhetoric uh, crossing not only psychological paths, but sociological structures and institutions is basically the framework by which we tell men and women to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and to um, trust their conscience and to um, trust their judgments, et cetera, et cetera, uh, without qualifying those things. And it was the basic assumption that you know, uh, let your conscience be your guide, like Jiminy Cricket and uh, Pinocchio. Albeit, if you watch that whole series carefully, uh, neither Jiminy Cricket nor Pinocchio did a good job of handling the um, the harrowing issues of life. They both found themselves in conflict with one another over and over and over again. And you and I are like Pinocchio in many ways. We want to be something that we 
in and of ourselves cannot be. And we struggle and abuse uh, and misuse our conscience in the process of it. But I came across an article because a topic I really do want to touch on today. I, I thought about waiting on it, but I think I'm going to see if I can arouse you to join me in marshalling forces for the protection of our young men. So t- basically today I'm going to take you into a black hole um, of sorts. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to take you into a black hole of sorts. Because I do believe that the male species um, is in real danger. Men are in danger. Not, not to say that women aren't either, but I think if you have had any kind of alarm, awareness, social consciousness, particularly if you're a female, and I'm definitely going to want to hear from you, but I'd love to hear from the brothers on the topic I'm about to bring up. I'd love to hear from men, although men do not easily come up out of the shell. I get that. But what I want to talk about today is some extremely dangerous elements and components that make up uh, the degradation and the loss of healthy alpha males. Um, Our society is increasingly developing beta males, males that are less than uh, biblically sound and healthy men who have a balanced view of masculinity along with the virtues of male responsibility and the dignity and calling of manhood according to God. Uh, that's a mouthful, I know, but my point being is that we are looking at our society around the world, not just in America or Europe, although there is a lot more of the impactfulness obviously seen in Europe and America and, and developed countries around the topic I'm about to talk about, and that is the dysfunctionality of men, young men, your young sons. And so mothers, if you're listening, I really do want you to pay attention to what we're going to talk about today. And let's see if we can engage each other around uh, marshalling the forces to help build into our young men the kind of character, the kind of integrity, the kind of strength, the kind of fortitude, the kind of um Worldview that will keep them from collapsing into what we're going to be talking about today. But in order to preface this, I actually want to use an article that I read that I thought was so insightful to to speak to the way we all think, whether male or female. And this will actually substantiate a couple of biblical principles. So I'm going to read the article. You're going to definitely resonate with it. And then I'm going to switch gears and talk about why. It's important for you, moms and dads, um, to be much more alert, much more circumspect, much more sensitive to, much more uh, insightful towards how culture is impacting your sons, how society is impacting your boys, how the way our our nation and our world and our culture and our government and our policies are indeed attacking the biblical model of manhood. And with the litany of things that are institutionally already entrenched into our culture, they all are working collaboratively in a certain way to diminish biblical manhood on the part of males 
And what that means is young men do not have all of the necessary tools to be all that God wants them to be as a strong, healthy alpha male without then becoming one of the biggest targets of our culture for destruction psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, economically, uh, structurally, and otherwise. That's the battle that the, 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 the male species is experiencing here in America, around the world at large. Um, this is just absolutely true. And so statistics lay this out. But did you know there was an article uh, by, uh, I think it's the Psychological uh, Association, saying that your brain, my brain, our brains are more inclined to lie to us than we uh, first imagined. Now, the Bible's clear already, isn't it? All men are what? And then the Bible says the heart is what? Deceitful, desperately wicked, above all things who can know it. Now, only believers who are honest about themselves can recognize this fundamental challenge, this fundamental reality about ourselves. But I'm going to read an article because I want you guys to kind of be already massaged, already um, strengthened, already already forged in a position to deal with what I want to talk about today, and that is uh, young male species being in trouble in our culture on a lot of levels so that you can have better discernment tools to see when your son is going way off the reservation in terms of his attitude, his thoughts, his perspectives, his actions, etc., particularly when it comes to the opposite sex. So here's the article. Um, it's, uh, it's called Your Brain is a Liar, Seven Common Cons Your Brain Uses. I thought this was quite interesting. Your brain is a liar. It makes assumptions not rooted in fact. It draws conclusions that are more about fear than any kind of logical argument and has insights often manipulated by the media and others' compelling stories. Did you get that first proposition, that first line? Researchers have known for years that memories are not a good source of information. Whoa! Did you get that? Researchers have known for years that memories are not a good source of information. Then then, then why are people uh, almost taking each other to court over things they say they remember the other person did or said or what have you? Why is there so much devastation around the import of what people have remembered? If researchers have known for years that memories are not a good source of information, why? Because your brain is an unreliable narrator. Whoa. Your brain is an unreliable narrator. It doesn't understand truth as we often define it aligning with fact or reality. Instead, it functions on personal truth. You guys need to be recording this. I can tell you this now. Instead of functioning on objective, factual truth, the brain will much more quickly function on personal truth. That would ultimately amount to personal opinion built on prejudice. Watch this. Facts and realities that sift through the filter of our own personal biases and perceptions about the world. This truth is also subject to the cognition errors we make daily. Not only does he say that when we go through experiences, we don't record them accurately. We filter them. We we filter them through our prejudices. But on top of that, we have cognition errors 
which we make every day, daily errors in cognition. That means our awareness of events, perception of events, assessment of events are often wrong if we are not disciplined in ourselves as to how to know when we are being objective and how to know when we are being subjective. This is a big topic. Anyhow, here's what he says. Often defined as automatic negative thoughts. The word is ant in its acronym. We have automatic negative thoughts. The brain will frequently engage in a series of negative thoughts. These thoughts often lock you into a thinking pattern that creates stress and anxiety and prevents growth. We all agree. We all agree. One of the reasons this happens is the brains need to maintain status quo as a survival mechanism. Whoa, pastor, explain that. Well, if I'm reading him right, here's what it seems to be saying to yours truly. We get in trouble when our circumstances change and fall out to be different than what is normative to us and what we are able to control. We don't do well when radical change occurs, that is status quo, and we don't have the tools and mechanism to maintain objectivity. We then begin to default into a, a process of phobic responses that leads to uh, hypersubjectivity of the events. And we will become critical and negative about it because it's outside of our control, our sphere of reference point. I think you get that. Anyhow, this is what he says. These thoughts often lock you into thinking patterns that increase stress and anxiety and prevent growth, prevent growth, prevent growth. One of the reasons this happens is the brains need to maintain the status quo of survival mechanism. But in your in locking your thinking, you resist growth opportunities. I call this thinking cons, C-O-N-S. It's your brain's way of convincing you that partial or untrue statements are true. Now, this is a whole nother conversation around how we will frame things that we know are partial truths as if they are whole truths. If this is not the height of self-deception and manipulation of the facts, I, I don't know what is, but this is what the author is saying. It's how your mind lies to you, not anybody else, you. These are called cognition errors. Uh, as they are also called in mental health circles, can deepen patterns of, watch this, depression and make mood disorders more challenging to manage. Y'all getting some out of this? So, so here's what we want to do today. We want to begin to have a much more healthy, much more objective awareness of how we think. And I want you to transfer this to your kids because they're dealing with the same problems, particularly when I get into the issue of why young men, young men today in our culture are drawing away, withdrawing from society and withdrawing from relationships. And particularly as we speak into the community of the Christian church, where I have seen for decades the enormous difficulty of relationships between men and women. We want to go deeper into that today. Now, ladies, you know. Meeting a good man is hard today, but fellas, you know, meeting a good woman is hard today. Now, couples, you know, being good men and being good women is hard today. You know it. This is why we don't have great marriages. This is why we don't have frequent marriages. This is why men and women on both sides of the Christian sector are bemoaning the fact that they can't find a good woman. And there are extremes to which 
because of prevailing outward circumstances, men are falling prey to certain things. And I wanted to talk about it. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Here are seven common cons that our brains use to lie to us. I just want to read them, and then I'm going to take a break, and I'll come back, build a little bit more on our topic, and then I'll take your phone calls because I want to know whether or not you are living in the same world that I am, and whether or not you are a productive citizen in regard to thinking properly with an objective prism by which you can see the truth about what's going on in your own heart, your own mind, in the heart of those you love and care about, because you and I are called to walk in the truth. Now, here are the seven common cons that are often functioning in our brains when we don't think in a healthy way. First one, the sky is falling con. Uh, This is a con that makes uh, every problem more significant than it is. Often imagining that the absolute worst thing is about to occur. That's con number one. The sky is falling. Secondly, the black and white con. Here you view everything as always great or always lousy. There's no in between with the black and white con. Thirdly, the pessimist code. I often see this con in cases of trauma and or abuse here. Your threat perception is hyper aware that you only see the negative in any situation. There is no good from your perspective. Fourthly, the perfectionist mantra. Many high potential children and adults fall into this con. Here you focus on what you consider your flaws and minimize any acknowledgement of your strengths because you're operating out of a perfectionist mantra. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Fifthly, the negative label, the original ant, as we had it earlier, the automatic negative thinking mode, was developed with this con in mind. With this, you label yourself in harshly negative ways, focusing on small aspects of self that contribute to your negative narrative. In other words, it's a common dialogue that you have with yourself, or at least a narrative that you are Negative. You are uh, less than uh, something. You are always failing. You are never achieving. You are never accomplishing. That is called the ant. Here's the other one, the fortune teller. In this con, you tell yourself what other people are thinking about you and always in the most negative light. Now you're taking other people's thoughts, reframing it, and asserting a negative intent on their part towards you. Now, this is really bad in relationships. Number seven, the victim's rant. This is a common con in children. Here you blame other people for everything that happens, keeping yourself as the forever victim. Now, each of these cons share a common goal to keep you from growing or experiencing something different. Fortunately, there are things you can do and teach your children to do that can help move past these cons all together. Now I'll talk about those when I come back from the break, but I think you already resonate with me. Do you not with some of these maladies and some of these weaknesses that we have and how important are they? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, that you and I are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not to be conformed to this world. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't take transformation seriously, Conformity to this world is all you can get. And all of these negative maladies that I've just shared with you, ladies and gentlemen, are not only intrinsic to our DNA, our physiology, our psychology, 
But it's the way the world controls and traps and, and bombards us with every negative thing in society to reinforce this kind of dysfunctional thinking. Say amen. All right. All the lines are open. one 367 I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. And now back to Lifeline. We're back. The time 529. We are talking about actually two topics. One is how our brain lies to us. And as I stated years ago, when we were much more driven by a kind of optimism in the West uh, around men being human beings being basically good. And uh, and therefore, we could seek and find virtues within ourselves uh, to pat ourselves on the back, to to move forward in life, to be successful, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the reality is, is that it's almost impossible not to see the pervasive effects of our fallenness everywhere. And the psychological world is learning how to get on board with the fact that. We lie to ourselves. And what I stated in the opening discourse were seven fundamental characteristics by which we know that we lie to ourselves, not to reiterate them in any lengthy way, because I want to get to some of the uh, some of the methods by which the author asserts you can begin to deal with your brain largely, ladies and gentlemen, largely about how to be objective, how to be able to see or hear or perceive or, um, or be aware of when you are thinking wrong. And that's not easy. Learning how to be self-aware is not easy. In some cases, we just don't want to do it because what we see is ugly. And this reinforces the whole issue of what the author calls an automatic negative thought process about oneself and about life in general. So remember, we dealt with seven fundamental cons, C-O-Ns, how the brain deceives us. The sky is falling con. Now, when that notion is given to someone that's in power, someone that's in authority, someone that's in influence, someone who's in a position of control, if he's dominated by the sky is falling mentality, he'll tell you the world is going to end tomorrow. He'll set a date for the end of the world. He'll tell you that events in your life and his life and our life is so bad that there is no redemptive value in anything going on. The man or the woman or the group of people that's dominated by the sky is falling con fails to see that they are operating out of the A-N-T, automatic negative thought that dominates them. They have absolutely no affirmation by other outside sources to legitimately corroborate their fear and their phobic uh, assessments and therefore uh, a narrative. And people get sucked into it because we are predisposed to operate out of that kind of uh, negativity when we're not grounded. Secondly, the black and white calm where everything is either all black or all white, all good or all bad. That is also a horribly unhealthy place to be. The third one, the pessimist code where one has just a perception, a high perception of everything having a negative connotation to it. Here you're a pessimist whenever a topic comes up, and after about a minute you go, but. That's a pessimism that can be toxic, and it can be uh, the evidence of some kind of intrinsic problem that does not allow you to simply admit when a thing is good. The perfectionist mantra is when you can never, ever, in your own eyes, do something so adequately right as to be thankful to God for what you did. 
You always put yourself down. You always say you could have done better. You always say that uh, it just wasn't good enough in your own eyes. Then the negative label. Uh, this term was developed in the mind, as it says, that you just maintain a harsh, negative view about things. The fortune tellers, the in- individual who reads other people's thoughts and says, yeah, 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 I can tell he or she just has a negative view about me. And then the victims rant, which the author says is common to children. But I'm here to tell you almost every one of these particular characteristics are common to children, too, because in the Bible, You and I are viewed as children mentally or mature mentally. And where we are called to grow, and this is Romans 12, 2 again, be uh, renewed by the uh, transforming of our mind that we might come up out of childlike thinking into more mature, objective, biblically based, objectively true uh, thinking so that we get it right. The fortune teller always sees the negative thinking in other people. And then finally, the victims rant. Now, the author goes on to say what we need to do in order to be able to handle or at least begin to manage these 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 uh, maladies is first acknowledge and accept that your thoughts aren't always correct. Whoa. Learn to discern them and then adjust as needed. That's good doctrine, isn't it? Learn to discern them and then adjust as needed. I think the Proverbs would put it like this. The simple believe every word, but the prudent look well to its going. Number two, practice witnessing your thoughts to recognize when your brain may be trying to con you. Love it. You know what he's saying? Turn around and look at yourself when you're thinking crazy. Split the screen. And let the bad ego be, be, be observed by the good ego and let the good ego recognize when you are not thinking right. Don't condemn yourself. Just acknowledge that's not right thinking. The more you witness, the more control you can begin to gain over your thoughts. Thirdly, think intentionally. I talk about this frequently, too. We can't be passive thinkers. We've got to be intentional thinkers. We've got to be critical thinkers. We've got to be sound thinkers and rational thinkers. Don't be lazy in your thinking or else your negative culture, your negative nature, your negative side will dominate you. In other words, it really requires grace and intentionality to think right. You and I do not think right naturally. Think intentionally when you recognize the con. Immediately quiet your thoughts and correct the errors. Reframe your thoughts from the negative con to something more growth-oriented. Fourth, purposely engage in self-compassion activities. By actively engaging in self-compassion, you will be able to practice refraining your brain's cons. Do you understand what he means by that? He simply means, if you're a believer in Christ, that allow yourself to be brave enough to recognize that you will lie to yourself. And then take a plunge in the blood of Christ where forgiveness of sins is. And then Kim it, Kim it. Somebody tell me what Kim it is, because this way you don't get stuck on you. You can keep it. What? So here's the other one. It says not only think intentionally, but purposely engage in self-compassion activities. It may be hard to initially learn to recognize when your brain is lying to you. Likewise, it can be tough to teach your children about the brain's cons, but taking time to learn about your personal cons and practicing your refraining skills, reframing skills rather, will allow you to help your children to do the same. I love this article. Why? Because it is really calling you and I to actually think on a transformative level, not a passive level. We are not right the way we think. 
I've been married for a long time, raised a bunch of kids, got a bunch of grandkids now. It's just remarkable watching the growth and transformation and and the environment of my own home, which was kind of a laboratory for me, and seeing the echoing uh, affirmations of biblical truth in each individual soul that came up under my roof, including myself. And we are a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. And the only way a family, the only way a couple, the only way an individual can actually coexist in a real healthy way without uh, creating a blue pill world versus a red pill world. I'll talk about that now. Once I get into the article concerning the danger of young men withdrawing from reality and getting caught up in very negative uh, uh, groups particularly through the internet, which your sons, ladies, uh, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers are in danger of if they don't have the resources to deal with the very challenging issues that are going on in our present culture today. Uh, Quite frankly, we, we do all of the things in this article that we read. We do all of that. And we will never naturally do good, never naturally speak right. Never naturally uh, reciprocate lovingly and charitably and with objective truth unless we are under the discipline of the Spirit of God, intentional about leaving carnal man and wanting to walk in spiritual man. I'm going to give us a Bible verse. I'm going to take a break and then I'll come back. One line open. one 367 Now, you've heard it. This verse will begin to make application to you now. The Apostle Paul says in Philip. Philippians chapter four, verse six and following, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, don't hurry up and go amen to that because you've heard it quoted a billion times. Think it through. We're talking about the mind and the heart. And the promise is, is that God will keep you. But if we're lying to ourselves over and 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 over again, we're not being kept. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. That's what the apostle says. The spirit of God says to you and I, we are to be intentional about how we think so that we cultivate a field of good fruit in our mind and heart because out of the abundance of the heart that the what? Mouth speak. And if we're telling half truths and distorted facts, and if we are rejoicing in evil, and if we are uh, dwelling deeply on negative things, then you know we're not doing Philippians 4, 6 through 8, are we? Got one line open, one 367 When I come back, I'll take your phone calls, but don't go anywhere because I want to actually engage you in what happens to be becoming a trend in our culture, particularly around our men. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time 543. I have one more article to read to bridge the gap. And then I'll begin to go to the phone lines, even though you guys haven't fully heard uh, the, 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 the narrative yet. But I'll go to the phone lines because we're almost full. So now having already talked at length about the subject of um, our propensity to lie to ourselves, what some have recognized in our present culture is that young men... Uh, are experiencing 
And I would say old men as well, men in general, because of just the way our our, our present society is, 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 is going, there is an empathy gap uh, developing among uh, society with regards to our young men. Why The article goes like this, why we should be guiding and not demonizing our sons. And this is going to actually get back into our topic. If, in fact, you agree with our previous thought around the way the mind works, the Arthur says, as our kids and grandkids head back to school for a new semester, we are thinking about more than their grade point average. We are thinking about their safety, their development, and what's going to happen when they graduate. Are the kids really going to be all right? That is what we think about our kids, do we not? Whether we'll admit it or not, however, young men as a group are getting left behind amid the shifting economic, social, and technological landscape. Now, this is important. Everyone knows a young man who is struggling. I know tons, either in school or afterwards, failing to launch with emotional disturbances in interactions with the opposite sex or with drug use and gang activity. Yep, know it all. While more and more young young women are soaring in education, and beyond, a recent con- congregation, uh, a recent congressional budget office report. Now, listen to this: revealed one out of six young men, one out of six young men is either not working or is incarcerated. A forty-five percent increase since nineteen eighty. Mass shootings have tripled since 2011, with the majority being carried out by young men. While young male suicide rates have increased. There is an empathy gap in our society when it comes to having compassion for the challenges boys and young men face. The issues that underlie the statistic above, nobody sees investing in boys' development as worth it. And as a result, boys today are growing up and deciding that it is not worth it for them to invest their time and energy back into their communities. In other words, they are bailing out on a ton of levels. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you will see some of this in your boys if you're not careful to to really get the message about we have a culture that does not respect manhood. The male species, the biblical alpha alpha male. And as a consequence, any kind of natural development along the characteristics of the alpha male in our young men is penalized. And the hurdles are absolutely phenomenal for them. And the narrative that comes out of our culture pretty much continues to pummel on our young men if they are not growing up in a very healthy environment. Would you agree? The uh, the Arthur goes on to say, for many, virtual reality, this is so amazing, for many, virtual reality has become a safe haven for our young men, and in some instances, more structured and rewarding than reality. You know what he's saying? They are now defaulting to the Internet as their real world. This is where I'm getting ready to go to a, into a black hole. Okay, and if you already know about the black hole, good. We can talk about it. If not, stay on the line, listen to the program so you can learn. We still got an hour and 15 minutes. 
I didn't know about this black hole till recently, but it's there. I've seen the symptoms. I've seen the manifestations. That's why we want to talk about it. But there's a black hole into which men are going, and they have been driven there by a hyper, hyper anti-male, hyper feminist ideology and narrative that has been ubiquitous from the White House all the way down to just common societal engagements. It's really sad. Really sad that we have succumbed to the battle of the sexes to the degree that we have destroyed our men's capacity to actually be authentic men. And they are retaliating on a lot of levels. I can talk about that. It says, for many, virtual reality has become a safe haven, and in some instances, more structured and rewarding than reality. Thus, we see the emergence of terms such as hikakamamori. I don't know how to actually say it. Hikakamamori. Hikakamamori. Another one is diaosi or diaosi. In Greek, it would be diaosi. Uh, Bambasiani. That's another word. Y'all might know it. I don't know these terms. Internet folks know them. Here's a word that they use, though. It's called the needs. N-E-E-T. Along with the rise of movements such as men going their own way. Have you ever heard that movement? Men going their own way. That one's huge, and it is super problematic. And the author goes on to say, who can blame them for wanting to opt out of what's going on in our society? The shift into alternative realities disconnects young men further, asking what's wrong with them or why aren't they motivated the same way young men used to be are not the right questions. Society is not giving the support, guidance, and means or place for young men to be motivated or interested in aspiring to long-term real-life goals. Whoa. When Nikita Columbe and I, the Arthur is talking about another person, did a 20,000-person survey trying to better understand what is causing motivational problems in young men, the number one answer chosen by young men themselves was conflicting messages from media institutions, from parents and peers about acceptable male behavior. With the rise of toxic masculinity, that's a whole nother subject too, Classes on college campuses, and they are ubiquitous everywhere. Masculinity itself is almost treated as a disease. I know that we're men have been the victim of it. I've been the victim of it for decades. Yet there is a decreasing number of positive male role models showing younger men the path of acceptable malehood, manhood. Would you agree with that? Just one out of five elementary and middle school teachers is male. Just one out of five. Elementary and middle school teachers is male. And fatherlessness in America remains above 40%. Among boys who do not have who do have fathers, the amount of time they spend in one-on-one conversation with their dads is only a fraction of the time they spend in front of a TV or on computer, where they see men represented as emotionless warriors. Hapless dads are losers who can't get anything right. In other words, many boys are going from male absent home environments to male absent school environments back to male absent home environments where they then watch toxic male role models on a screen. This begs the question, what kind of future are they supposed to envision for themselves? In our book, Man Interrupted, 
We explore what's happening with young men and where they are headed by examining the individual situational systematic factors that are contributing to these trends. The concluding chapters offer a set of solutions that can be affected by different segments of society, including schools, parents, and young men themselves. The takeaway, and I'll stop here, young men deserve our compassion and guidance. Being a young adult is hellish enough without the added burden of being demonized by society. Growing up in poverty, I saw the difference a mentor could make. If we alienate our sons, we're going to lose a whole generation to say nothing of the ripple effects that impact us all. Well, there you go. What am I doing? I'm kind of enhancing your concern about the need for you and I to be concerned about our young males in this next generation because we are losing them fast to the surreal world of alternative reality. And one of the biggest evidences, this guy used the term men going their own way, is, uh, is the dysfunctionality that occurs between men and women. The dysfunctionality. Well, I got to take another break. When I come back, I'll talk with Nelson and Dana. All the lines are open. one 367 one Do you see symptoms of this in young men you're dealing with? Maybe you have some of these symptoms. Maybe you see them in your grandkids. Maybe you see them in your, 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 your uh, brothers or our, our, our uncles or what have you. Let's talk about it. one 367 one I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we have one line open, one 367 Let's go to line two and talk with Nelson in San Mateo. Nelson, are you there? Yes, um, good um, afternoon, Man, you said a lot. Um, do, you, do you still have the Saturday classes? Um, every Saturday, every Saturday, with the exception of um, a few a few weekends, we'll have off. In fact, we will be off. Uh, we'll be on this Saturday. We'll be off for most of June, and then we'll be back on for Ju- July through. But we do a very robust time of men gathering and dealing with the word. And uh, you know, you can go online and check out our last study. Man, we we've been getting at it. In any event, what what's your thoughts about today's topic? Wow, you you said so much. I'm, I'm going to listen to this a few times. This is very good. I, I do want to just make a, you know, I'm very analytical. You make points that you know, the Spurgeon has a message, handmaiden of hope, and you know, Lamentations three twenty one. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. And of course, Psalm sixty six and others. You know, it does rely on your memory about how good God is. So I I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to memory. What I would say is that, first of all, the way we would want to frame the the conversation is that um, I would affirm with the this this evaluation that we, by nature, are negative in our thought processes. Would you? Oh, yeah. I grew up as a foster kid since I was nine months old and in children's homes. And my, my, one of my um, social workers, a nun, she said the first thing I could see about Nelson is the negative self-depreciatory things he said about himself. And that was when I was nine or ten years old. Yep. <laughs> and I've always 
Absolutely. And and I, if I think about you from a pastoral standpoint, you're a lot better off than you were when I met you several years ago, almost a decade ago, uh, when we first just kind of had, you know, stints uh, on the radio with different worldviews, <clears throat> not different worldviews, I'm sorry, different political views and how you would often call, uh, you know, basically challenging some of the things that I would say about what's going with the, on with the politicians. And I would hear you, Nelson, and I would go. He's not quite addressing my topic. He's coming from an angle that really is rooted in a kind of angst that you were having with experiences with, with folks, whether Caucasians or black people around certain views. And I would quickly pick up on that that kind of um, driving narrative. I don't know if you recall, but that would be kind of a consistent fashion in which you would call in and uh, either challenge me on a topic or want to give some qualified statement about, you know, how folks how folks were. But over the years, I have watched how you have mellowed, uh, not that you don't have discernment still, but that how you have actually taken on a, a, what I would consider just a bit more of a balanced approach to inevitable realities around our broken world. Let me put it that way. Right. You know, even even during the break, you know, I, I didn't like the Michael Nedved thing where he kind of framed as Louis Farrakhan in Tlaib as being the most anti-Semitic people in America. He didn't say exactly that, but he brought them up. But, but man, the stuff that people on the right have said, even Donald Trump said at the Jewish meeting where he said, I know you Jewish people like to buy your politicians, but I mean, I could go on and on with people on the but But you're right. I don't have to do that every time somebody says something. But I, I do discern that they're being unbalanced. Well, no, and, 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 and here's what I would say, that if you listened to, and you already admitted that you would need to go back and listen carefully to my monologue, because in the monologue it talked about how to be objective with thoughts that start off initially through a prism of negativity and distortion, and, and we all can have that. I, I would fully agree with you. I, I don't want to make this program uh, – a time to deal with my my view on uh you know on a, a healthy understanding of of Judaism, particularly from a Christian standpoint. You know my views, and a lot of people do as well. No, no I was talking about what Michael Medved said. And no, and, and but but I, I'm affirming you. This is what I'm saying. I'm affirming you when I heard it because I heard it too. I'm sitting here right, so I, you know I'm hearing it. Uh, and I take the same view as you do in that regard. Um, uh, you know, all Jews are not pure and clean as the wind driven snow. So that extreme is bad. Any kind of criticism of Jews is wrong and off the table. That that's fascist and almost, uh, uh, you know, utterly undemocratic uh, to to paint pictures of people in certain ways. Everybody has their own propaganda uh, objective behind it. Michael Medved, you know, Dennis Prager. And, and many others, particularly in our Christian community, where there is a hyper pro uh, Israel kind of eschatology. You you know that that's going to be a conversation, by the way, that comes up as soon as things begin to hit the fan. Uh, that's coming back up because it's unavoidable. But what I am saying is I agree with you fully there, but I keep it objective because I don't have to take it personal. I, I think I have my views and I can defend them biblically, but I'll hear it swinging from the left and right, just as you do. Mm-hmm. So now let me ask you a question uh, since you called. Is there anything beyond uh, the, the opening monologue that you wanted to share uh, about the idea that um, young men are living in a time, uh, Nelson, where 
there's not a whole lot of support for the male species on any real healthy biblical level. That's true. That's why, of course, um, Jordan Peterson, who I mentioned, and you're right, I should have mentioned them with the... Um, you know that guy killing people, but yeah, but that know, was that was the whole point. You, you keep affirming my point today about how we we all start off with a negative frame of thinking. I used to do it many many years ago. I know where you're coming from. I'm just like you. I, Peterson is not a Christian, even though he will say he is, and yet he does he does hit some home runs in some areas in which they are critical to to be uh, affirmed because he's dealing with a, an off the rail agenda on the part of the LBGTQ community and the, and the, and the gender uh, anti-cis community, and very few people are exposing it at the level that he is. Right. You, you know, one, one thing I've done on your show is tell different stories that I experienced. And when I was coming back from a funeral, um, the, 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 hus- the, the wife of the um, guy who's driving the car, he... Um, she she was a product of some of this California liberal, and they go to a very conservative church, Church of Christ, what my biological family is, Church sure, of Christ. Sure, sure, I know it. Um, so you know, it's not a feminist church, not at all. Me, that's right. Um, but but make a long story short, she there was a reality show about preachers of L.A. and preachers of Detroit, and and the and the, the white preacher he wanted to, he wanted to do the right noble Christian thing of waiting till he's married to have sex. And so he, he liked this very attractive um, African-American lady who's about 25, 30 years old. So um, that, that um, lady in the car, she just criticized him to death for still being single. And, and then she went on, onto the black preacher who looks a lot like Fred Price, but it wasn't Fred Price, but, but he was um, dealing with gangs in LA and doing a good job. Cause she criticized him for, well, he shouldn't be just dealing with gangs. And, and the point I'm making is she's been affected by that anti-male um, thing that you would get in public colleges here. Absolutely. Even when a guy does something very noble, like trying to, you know, he's, trying to date this um, African-American lady. He's trying to wait till they're married to, um, you to know, have intercourse. Relationship. Yeah. And, and the guy who's working with gangs, she had nothing positive to say about both of them. She just went on and on negative. And that, and that that's uh, th- a, that affirmed what I was saying in my opening monologue about one of the seven maladies that are argue, uh, that are um, issue on your brain lies to you about. It's just that constant negativity. Things are black and white. Things are all negative. She was a pessimist. She didn't have the ability as a believer to be objective and to call good good and call evil evil. Uh, what the proverb says is give credit unto whom credit is due. Give honor to whom honor is due. And I fully agree with you. We should be able to acknowledge when uh, a person does a good thing, if in the overall uh, aspect of what they're doing, there are bad things that they are doing. This is definitely uh, a healthy path that that believers should be walking down. So you're actually affirming my point. I got to take a break. Thanks for the, the call, my brother. When I come back, I'll deal with you, Dana. Deborah and then Roldy from San Jose. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.